are trying to kind of find our way through some very strange times here in New York State. It truly is both frustrating and heartbreaking to me to see a lack of transparency quite often in reporting. I really feel as though the people are being really shortchanged in the way of being well-informed and being accurately informed. And this has been made really obvious recently. Some of you are well aware that we held a tough as a mother gathering on Mother's Day. And the intention of that was to hold it at our state capitol here in Albany and to give mothers a chance to be heard and to celebrate mothers both past and present and really to galvanize as mothers in our desire to advocate for our children's futures and to defend what really needs to be defended, which is the safety of our children, the safety of our communities, because quite honestly, our leaders have failed us. We've truly been sold out by the very people who should be looking out for the best interest of our communities, and they're not. One of the main concerns that I have had for an incredibly long time, and I keep hoping the day will come where there will be a breakthrough and someone will have a, a, a bit of a conscience and say, hey, this, this reform needs to really be rebuilt because it's not anything other than perverted and a real miscarriage of justice, this bail reform of New York State, the epic fail bail reform. And let me just say that prior to the bail reform being passed, which was in 2019, with it to go into effect January 1st, 2020, I would have said to you if you and I had a conversation in 2019 or 2018 or 2017 or probably any years in the past decade, I probably would have said, if we were discussing crime, and especially crimes against women and children, that I think that a lot of the penalties are pathetically weak, and a lot of our policies are horrifically impotent when it comes to providing any sort of strength, any sort of safeguard around our children, around women, around communities in general. And what I mean by that is this. I know, you know personally of cases here in our area in which individuals, men, have raped children, have raped multiple children. And time and again, they're generally given less than a 10-year sentence. And time and again, their sentences are generally just about cut in half because of, you know, good behavior in prison, because I guess because there aren't children to rape in prison. I don't know. But they're released, and they're released on parole. Now, prior to 2019, and certainly prior to 2020, New York State had lost track of upwards of 3,500 parolees. Now, when you say the word parolee, this is not necessarily low-level offenders. These can be people such as child rapists who served out a partial term, had a reduced, you know, prison term, were released under, you know, post-release conditions of parole. And if they don't touch base with their parole officer, if they don't update where they're living, what they're doing, where they're working, if they're working, they just kind of fade in, in, into the periphery and find their way into communities where they can continue to victimize children. And this happens over and over and over and over ad nauseum. So if you take this issue completely completely separate from the, the bail reform, which in my opinion took everything broken about the, the bail system and about really our judicial system and kind of put it on steroids, we would all have to honestly say that there is so much room for improvement, especially with regard to treating crimes against children and especially crimes that are sexual in nature with the severity that they deserve to be treated with. So now enter in this era in which we have a bail reform that people who are supporting it either A, don't know how to read, B, don't understand the English language, C, have absolutely no conscience, D, have perhaps a bend toward pedophilia. I'm going to say it because it's a possibility. Or D, a combination of all of the above. Or, you know, I would say I would add E to that are just kind of complacent. It doesn't affect them personally. So why think about it? Why, why bother? This bail reform literally unhinges any of the remaining safeguards that we've had around children and around communities. And I'll tell you why. It takes some horrific crimes. About 200 crimes were on this initial reform, and I'm so sick of hearing myself say it, honestly. I hear these words come out of my mouth like over and over and over. And so often when I'm sharing this with people, they're dumbfounded. Like their jaw drops. They're like, this can't be. And I'm telling them, yes, it, it actually is. And I'm always amazed by how many really well-meaning, really wonderful people, quite often well-educated people, have no clue what has been done here right under our noses. So 
Let me back up to what we started talking about in this in this initial um, program here. We had the Tough as a Mother rally in Albany on Mother's Day. And as I've said before, whenever I've hosted anything, I don't care if it's just me, <laughs> you know, the audio engineer here, Jeff Pitcher, and you know what? God, if, if that's all that shows up that day, then okay, you know what? I've done I've done the very best I can to put the word out and to help people. This was a small gathering in that it was probably less than about two dozen people that showed. But out of that were mothers. And some of these mothers came to Albany prepared to either have it be a crowd of of 500 people, 200 people, 50 people, or just a few of us standing around. But they came prepared to talk, to share from their hearts. And for many of them, they shared with hands trembling, tears in their eyes, voices quivering, and in both cases, with, with a silver chain around their necks, with a little medallion that had the thumbprint of their dead child on it. Okay, these are women who came to share their stories and their stories that need to be told because they are not unique. They are they are unique to the individuals who are suffering through the agony of these losses, but they are not unique because this is happening all the time in our state. We heard from Madeline Brame, who spoke of her son, Hassan Korea, who was brutally murdered in Harlem in October of 2019 and it was gang assault and it was murder and it was at the hands of of individuals who had just been released from Rikers Island for other horrific crimes involving human victim violent crimes and then there was also a sister involved who who held Hassan's hands and arms behind him so that the knife could continue to be plunged into his chest, into his torso, into his abdomen. And then when Hassan managed to break away, you know, outnumbered like four to one, Mary is the one who chased him down, grabbed him by his jacket, thrust him to the ground so that they continued to stomp him on the head, kick him, and continue to plunge a knife into his, into his chest, ultimately putting a knife right through his heart, which killed him. And then they turned and did the same thing to Hassan's father, who, who had come to try to aid his son. These are horrific crimes. And Mary Saunders was in jail for about, I believe, about two and a half months and released right before Christmas of 2019 because the judge said that she had no means by which to retain her because the bail reform law really tied her hands to do so, reduced bail from uh, three quarters of a million dollars down to $12,000. And Mary Saunders has been out and about ever since. I know for a fact there were some meetings, some Zoom meetings scheduled that got you know, rescheduled, courts were closed down altogether last year because of COVID. And so now we're looking ahead to June to maybe, maybe not seeing that Mary Saunders answers for this gang assault and second degree murder that she committed. And here's the thing, that crime was caught on camera. It was caught on high definition video. So there's no doubt who did it, what time they did it. You could probably actually watch the fatal blow entering Hassan's body. I mean, honestly, there's no question here what was done. And this bail reform, basically, because we have lawyers from legal aid societies who seem to have a passion for fighting to see that violent individuals are free to move about in our communities, they have more of a heart for those individuals than they do for people who could be potential victims of future crimes. And I'm just, I'm seeing a pattern there. So I'm going to, I'm going to call it what it is. So whether or not Mary Saunders is even in the state of New York, who knows? She wasn't deemed a flight risk. She was released and, and Madeline was there to tell her story. And Madeline was also there to tell her story about her son, Rayvon, who actually died exactly a year ago, the day that, that we had our rally. So May 9th, 2020 is when Rayvon died of what she believes was tainted drugs. She had no idea her son was even using drugs at that time, but apparently he got into a batch of cocaine that was laced with fentanyl and, and he died tragically, as was the case for Karen Pike, who spoke of her precious son, who, again, she didn't know that he was into into these drugs and something something really horrible happened to her precious son she's not completely convinced that there wasn't foul play uh, there were injuries to her son's body that uh, haven't been really adequately explained and her son died tragically and to hear her tell her story and to see the pain in this woman's eyes and to know that there's there's thousands upon thousands of other families and parents who are going through the same kind of loss because of the drug addiction epidemic it's heartbreaking that we have state government that's not seeing this and recognizing it and saying, 
you know, we need to do something to protect people from this evil. And instead, time after time, especially this past year, in light of the bail reform, drug dealers were busted. A lot of them were caught with huge amounts of fentanyl and they were released. They were released with appearance tickets for court dates that probably got pushed back time and again because of COVID, because of COVID, because of COVID. It's disgraceful. It's absolutely disgraceful what's going on here. And I've spoken time and again about different instances in which lives have been lost as a direct result of this bail reform. So when I say that I'm speaking the truth about this reform, I mean it. I'm not somebody who is trying to in any way, shape, or form do anything but empower the community with the truth. You deserve the truth. You're not being given the truth. You have the power to make up your own mind as to whether or not this matters to you. But what I don't appreciate is having a a gathering such as this, honoring crime victims, honoring their families, also paying homage to the thousands upon thousands of our elderly who died as a direct result of our governor intentionally planting COVID-19 positive individuals into nursing homes, which is probably the most sociopathic thing that could have been done at a time of such a public health crisis, all the while somehow having time to, to write a book and, and preach to us about leadership and point his grimy finger to Washington as, as the reason why anything that went wrong here in New York went wrong. We are being led by people who answer to no one. They're elitists. They answer to no one. They see people as political capital, and that's all they see. And I'm getting so tired of it. So our gathering on Mother's Day, it was small, and that's okay. We had a couple of news outlets show up to, um, you know, take some notes, do some reporting. I always have kind of a mixed response to that because you just never know what's going to get reported. And our local um, news agency, the Gazette, did print, you know, if the, it was a pretty meh write-up about our, our gathering. It was okay. I don't know if, if the person writing it was only there for part of it, and that was truly all he got out of the event. But if he had stayed the full event, there would have been a lot more to add to what was said about the event, including the stories of the mothers who've lost children and who are really demanding change to see that other lives are not lost. And so, okay, you know, we we got we got some free press. It wasn't you know glaringly in opposition of of the truth that we were presenting that day. You know it was you know whatever. I'd probably give it a two star you know write up on the event, but whatever. Thank you. Thanks for the effort. Okay. So fast forward to this morning and what is printed in our in our newspaper, the Gazette, basically an editorial stating that. Everything that we were saying there at our rally was basically lies. We're sensationalizing it. It's lies, okay? And I'm going to read to you word for word what was stated. And it's written by the editorial board of the Gazette. I mean, I don't know. But to me, like, put your name to it. You know what I mean? Like, who's the editorial board? I don't really know who that is. Maybe I need to find that out. But you know what? This is your position. Put your name to it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Let's go. But anyways, this is what gets written this morning, okay? Two years after New York passed reforms to its cash bail system, dishonest politicians are still out misleading the public about them, pandering for votes by scaring people into thinking that liberals are handing out get out of jail free cards to murderers and rapists. As women and mothers, congressional candidate Liz Joyce said during a sparsely attended Mother's Day rally on Sunday, we have witnessed repeat violent offenders, sexual abusers, domestic violence abusers, horrifically violent gang members be purposefully, purposely released into our streets, into our neighborhoods affecting our children our sons and our daughters okay so let's just start with that (laughs) that that in and of itself is laced with a whole bunch of lies quite honestly lie upon lie upon lie Um, legitimate criticism of any law is fair I'm coming back to the the uh, article now legitimate criticism of any law is fair of course it is but this kind of fear-mongering is dangerous dishonest and counterproductive to efforts to reform our judicial system and no one should either promote these tactics or support those who do first off bail is not about punishment it's to ensure suspects show up for court to ensure that the public gets justice reforms are designed to instill more fairness in a system that rewards suspects with freedom simply because of his or her ability to pay yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, you know, there's there's little nuggets here. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. There are numerous accounts of individuals charged with fairly minor nonviolent crimes sitting in jail for months or years because they couldn't pay even modest amounts of bail, needlessly punishing them with job loss, family separation, and other issues before they're even convicted of anything. The reforms provide other means to ensure compliance with court orders. 
I'd like to know what those other means are. <laughs> when New York passed its initial bail reform in April of 2019 for nonviolent crimes, there were definitely problems. Remember that term, nonviolent crimes, because we're going to come back to it. The law, for instance, included too many charges that should have been considered violent crimes and therefore deemed ineligible for automatic release. Okay, we can agree on that. Unfortunately, there were a handful of circumstances in which violent criminals were issued appearance tickets and later, later committed new crimes. In response, the legislature in July of 2020 amended the law to close many of its loopholes, including expanding the list of crimes eligible for pretrial detention and making other needed changes. Those stories about waves of violent crime resulting from more people being released without bail have proven to be false, with only a few cases attributed to someone released under the reforms. <laughs> other states that have passed bail reform, including New Jersey, also did not experience spikes in crime as a result. It's still too early to determine the effectiveness of the reforms on racial disparities and other goals. And there are still legitimate concerns about the system and more changes that need to be made to ensure fairness to indigent, indigent suspects and to protect public safety. But one thing is clear. Spewing fear to gain political points only makes the challenge of reforming an unfair system even more difficult. It needs to stop. That's interesting. You want to know why that's interesting? Because most of it is illogical and non-factual, and I can tell you why. Okay, this bill was passed, and as I've said before, there are 200 crimes on this bill that basically, by signing it, our governor said anyone who was brought in on reasonable cause or even has been found to per have performed these crimes, committed these crimes— even if they're on high-definition video, such as gang assault and second-degree murder, as was the case in the killing of Hassan Korea, they're going to get an appearance ticket because that pushes us closer to social equality and social justice. Okay. Legitimate criticism of any law and fair is fair. That's a legitimate criticism, okay? Like, you've literally taken horrifically violent crimes and allowed people to walk. And, and what's crazy is that this is not taking into consideration the fact that, in my opinion, we have judges who are presiding in a lot of very high-crime districts who've completely lost their way. I don't know if they're getting paid off. I don't know what's happening. But they have horrible discretion, horrible discretion in the people that they're letting loose. You know, case in point, Pedro Vinent Barcia, go look up that guy. He was let loose because his legal aid attorneys came in and said, well, you know, he's, he's above the age of whatever. And, and, you know, he has hypertension. We don't want him contracting COVID in prison. We know he butchered his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, after stalking her. We, he butchered her on a city sidewalk, and it was caught on videotape, and multiple witnesses saw him do it. And he stood over her body, and when police arrived, he said, is she dead yet? I hope so. But he's over the age of 55, and he might contract COVID, so you should really let him go. And that's what the judge did. This is what we're dealing with, this level of insanity, okay? So l let me talk a little bit more about this, this individual who wrote this editorial who wishes to remain nameless, apparently, because I don't know, if, if you own this perspective, why not put your name on it? But to say that we're people, we, and I'm going to say it we, because this is in direct response to an event that I personally organized, that we are you know, lying to people and saying that the liberals are, I mean, I don't know what this has to do with whatever, but are handing out get-out-of-jail-free cards to murderers and rapists. Well, I mean, let, let's talk about that for a second, because here's the thing. I can tell you the name Sandra Wilson, and you may or may not recognize the name Sandra Wilson, but she was killed, brutally killed, and she was absolutely a victim of this reform. And you, you want to know a little bit about the person that killed her? Okay, the person that killed her should have never been out, should have never been out, because this individual was found to be guilty of sexual assault. This person whether or not this individual is just plain evil, mentally ill, whatever the case may be, this person had absolutely no business being out. And he was. And he was let out because of this bail reform. Sandra Wilson was brutally killed. Um, she worked as a security guard in a library in Spring Valley, New York. And the man accused of fatally stabbing her, and, and when I say accused, like 
the guy did it in front of a bunch of people, and there was security camera footage everywhere. It's a public library, okay? This guy, Blanchard Glauden, age 25, who was released without bail in December, has been charged with second-degree murder in Tuesday afternoon stabbing death. Now, this is going back um, into February. This, this was one of the first lives lost as a direct result of the real lack of leadership and the horrific judgment call that Andrew Cuomo exemplified when he signed this. And keep in mind, Andrew Cuomo is an attorney, okay? He, he, he probably could read through this document and explain it to each and every one of us in simple terms. I would think, I mean, I don't want to assume, but I would think. You can't tell me he didn't know exactly what he was doing when he signed that. So this young man, Blanchard Glauden, 25, released without bail in December, okay? And, and let me tell you what he did pr- you know, prior to this. Okay, so in December, he was charged with attempting to rape a woman at a Nyack Hospital on November 9th, okay? Now, he was basically found, you know, sexually assaulting this woman. You know, I mean, like, we're not talking about hearsay, he was accused, no one saw anything. No, this happened in a Nyack Hospital, and Glauden was held on a $100,000 bail that was set by Nyack Justice Robert Noble on December 20th. Okay, then he was held from the 20th to the 26th, but, you know, these reforms along the way have said that, you know, we can't hold somebody before trial for more than, you know, in this case, it was stated six days, but the reality is this bail reform was coming into effect literally in a matter of days, and... So he was released, and he was released because of a statute that was in place prior to this bail reform, okay, that leaves it to the discretion of the judge to not place, not keep someone remanded in custody for more than six days. So this judge let him loose. And my question is, if we're looking to real bail reform, why in the world wouldn't we look at a a case like this and other cases like this in which you have someone who is awaiting trial? It's not a matter of we're not sure if this guy did it. We're not really positive about, you know, the circumstances surrounding this crime. Why in the world can't we speed up court proceedings in a way that makes sense, okay? If somebody committed a crime such as this, and my guess is this this individual probably had numerous brushes with the law, and you know what? Could be mental health issues. Could be he just has a bend toward evil and loves to hurt people. It could, it could be anything. But it is stated that he showed absolutely no remorse in brutally killing Sandra Wilson. This is not an individual that we're going to bet is going to be able to be rehabilitated. I mean, you just don't take a chance like that with, with your life, with your children's lives, with that of others. So if we're going to reform bail, why in the world wouldn't you start in the ways that are most practical, such as instead of releasing people just because the trial hasn't been set yet, Hurry the trial up. Expedite the trial. When you have cases like this, such as Pedro Vinent Barcia, who was caught on camera butchering a woman in the city streets, why in the world would he be released under the COVID-19 jailbreak? Why in the world was he still awaiting trial in 2020 from a crime he committed in 2018? Are we really this dumb that we can't figure out a way to make court proceedings move along this is ridiculous you want real reform let's let's go real reform here what we have here is just a steaming pile of nonsense and then you've got people like you know whoever wishes to remain nameless at the gazette who's saying that we're peddling falsehoods about this and we're not we are not Okay, Blanchard Glauden should not have been out, but he was. And Sandra Wilson is dead because of it. Let's talk about somebody else because, you know, this author states that, you know, only there's really only been a handful. Well, you know what? If it's one, it's too many. And the reality is that just fundamentally this reform is so messed up, it defies all human logic. Absolutely all human logic. And it is not, it's not right that we tolerate this. It's not right that we don't put up practical 
boundaries between criminals and the innocent. And this is just eroding any kind of protection that's been left after decades of dysfunction in our judicial system. This is not fear-mongering. This is not dangerous. This is not dishonest and counterproductive to say that this reform is a mess and it needs to be rebuilt in a way that has more compassion for victims, more compassion for people who are committing crimes that are driven by drug addiction and mental health issues, more compassion for people who are awaiting trial for ridiculously long periods of time. Like, come on, why? Get it together. Get, let's go. When, when, when things are black and white, come on, let's go. This is literally a crime, you know, in the example of Hassan Korea's death. It was caught on high-definition video. What in the world? What do you need? It's right there. It's right there. But no, the perpetrator, you know, charged with gang assault and second-degree murder gets released. Oh, okay. But, but, we're, but we're fear-mongering by pointing out how messed up that is. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Amanda Farnham, okay? This is just unbelievably, unbelievably sad, unbelievably tragic, this girl. Okay, this happened in October 16th of 2020. All right. And, and you know what? <laughs> You just just put this in the perspective of this being someone that you love dearly, okay? Because I think some people have a hard time, unless it really impacts them personally, they, they really lack the sympathy, they lack empathy, they lack all of the above to be able to really look at a situation and see how unjust it is unless it literally directly causes some sort of an emotional response in them personally. So in Bellport, New York, the bodies of a man and woman found in a Bellport home after a man commits suicide during a police chase have been identified as his family members and they were killed. Authorities said the two found in a Donav residence on October 6th have been identified as James Farnham, age 79, and Amanda Farnham, 46. Both deaths have been ruled homicides, Suffolk County Police said. On October 8th, the man who slit his own throat was identified as William Farnham, age 43. His last known address was 7 Donav in Bellport, where the two bodies were found when officers went to notify next of kin after his death. Okay, so to picture this playing out, I mean, what a nightmare. You know, this guy leads police on a chase he ends up I, you you heard it slitting his own throat in the course of this transpiring so the police go to his address to try to find next of kin to let them know something horrible has happened and they find two bodies there of the people that i mentioned 79 year old and 46 year old in addition, the Post said that Farnham, I'm sorry, Farnham, according to the New York Post, had reportedly been living with the bodies of his father and sister for days, okay, prior to going out on this, you know, rampage or police chase where he ends up killing himself. In addition, the Post said Farnham was on parole after being released from prison on an attempted burglary conviction. Online records show Farnham currently has five pending court cases, <laughs> Okay. According to Suffolk County Police, on October 6th at 10 a.m., an officer stopped the driver of a 2003 Honda Civic, later identified as Farnham at the intersection of Route 112 and Montauk Highway in East Pachoke. Farnham pulled over, and a passenger exited the vehicle before he sped off. A short time later, the car crashed into a utility pole on Washington Ave. Officers approached and found that Farnham had slit his own throat. Officers administered first aid. The man was pronounced dead at the scene. And again, detectives went to the Bellport home to notify next of kin and discovered the bodies of a man and woman inside. On Tuesday, elected officials, law enforcement officials, and candidates in the upcoming election gathered at the Suffolk County PBA headquarters in Brentonwood to demand the repeal of bail reform legislation. So, uh, Gazette, why don't you take your argument up with... Suffolk County, you know, get beyond, get beyond Schenectady County. Go talk to law enforcement in Suffolk County. Ask them what their thoughts are on bail reform. You know, don't argue with me because obviously I'm peddling misinformation, right? Go talk to them. Go talk to people that see this day in and day out. Go talk to the officers that will never be able to forget what they saw, seeing an obviously distraught, mentally ill guy slit his own throat and try to save his life with, with blood pouring out of his neck. Go talk to them. Ask them what they think about bail reform. Really, go. 
get out of your office, hop in your car, go down to Suffolk County, and have a good talk with these people, okay? Because Farnham, they said, this is talking about law enforcement in Suffolk County. I'm sure their perspective doesn't matter as much as you, you know, editorial board, whomever you may be at Gazette. But Farnham, they said, who served four terms in state prison and was facing five new criminal charges, should not have been released. This is yet another tragic example of how the new bail laws are failing, said New York State Assemblyman Joseph DeStefano. He added that Farnham had been charged in the past with grand larceny, criminal possession of stolen property, drug position, possession, I'm sorry, resisting arrest, and various driving infractions. With five new charges pending against him in Suffolk County, he should have never been set free. The Suffolk PBA joins legislative leaders and law enforcement from throughout the state in renewing our call to repeal the bail laws to make sure people like Bill Farnham with extensive criminal histories and multiple charges pending aren't let back out into the streets to terrorize our community. Noel DiGirolamo, PBA president, said, everyone knows these soft-on-crime laws were a mistake and should be immediately repealed. According to a report by ABC7 New York, Amanda Farnham, who'd been taking care of her father, had spoken with a local reverend about her brother. A friend told ABC7 New York that Amanda had filed a restraining order after her brother returned from state prison and reportedly choked her. She rescinded the order when her brother began living in the woods outside, and she felt guilty, the report said. The ABC7NewYork.com report also said that Democrat leaders denounced members of the GOP crying out for change and said the crime has nothing to do with bail reform. Hmm. At the press event in Brentwood, Jennifer Harrison, who said she served as a crime victim's advocate since 2005 when her boyfriend and his best friend were murdered by three men, one of whom was out on parole, spoke about the need for the repeal of bail reform legislation. I knew Amanda Farnham. She worked for me for a brief time. Amanda was beautiful, had beautiful red hair, beautiful skin. She was an extremely sweet young woman. This should have never happened. Harrison added that in March of 2019, when Governor Cuomo started forcing his most progressive criminal reform down our throats, I wrote letter after letter begging him to stop, warning him that this would happen, and warning that our children would not be safe on the streets of New York, and sadly, no one listened. So Amanda Farnham left behind family, friends, community shaken by the the horrific nature of this crime that was a direct result of bail reform. That, that you know, And the thing is, the bail reform... Like I've said before, it takes every problem with our criminal justice system system just about and, and puts it on steroids. It takes everything we hate about bail and exacerbates it. Because you know what? I've heard people say, oh, well, it levels the playing field. Does it really? Because here's the thing. If you have a person who commits a crime, let's just pick one crime off the bail reform. Just pick one. I feel I, we, we should have like a wheel here where you spin it and whatever needle it lands on. Female genital mutilation. Let's talk about that. Let's, talking about, let's talk about stalking as a hate crime while committing a sex offense because that's on the reform. So let's pick that one just for today, okay? And I'm sure the Gazette will accuse me of, of making that up, but guess what? I'm not. Sorry, I wish I was. I'm not. So stalking as a hate crime while committing a sex offense. Let's, let's say that an individual commits a crime such as that. The... Victim of the crime has the ability, the wherewithal, the, you know, strength to go to the authorities and say, hey, this guy did this to me. And let's say that it's a perfect storm and the police are actually able to go find that guy who did that to her, bring him in on probable cause. And she says, yeah, that's that's him. These are the details of what happened. And he gets... He gets the option of, of posting bail. You know, let's say, he, you know, it's a pretty severe crime. Let's say it's $250,000 he's got to post. Let's say that he's an individual who can make a phone call and post that kind of bail and then walk free until his trial date. And we'll just hope that he doesn't stalk, you know, as a hate crime while committing a sexual offense against another person between that point and the time of his, you know, court proceedings. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just cross our fingers. That doesn't happen. And let's suppose that the same exact crime happens to another woman, except this time it is at the hands of an individual who has, you know, no financial resources at all whatsoever, perhaps because of circumstances they've created or perhaps because of circumstances that were created for them. But in any case, they made a choice to commit a horrible crime against another human being. Let's say same scenario. They're brought in, probable cause. Laws, they're ID'd, they're processed, and they are told, you know, you know the, the bail's 250000 You know, you either post it or you're going to sit here until your court date. 
That's the situation that this bail reform is trying to say it's equalizing by, by this reform, by the very essence of this reform. Okay, because what they're saying is that second individual shouldn't have to rot in a jail cell because they don't have the money to, to get out. And, I, if, yeah, let's level out the playing field. And by doing it with a social conscience, you would look at that situation. You would say, okay, to equalize that, we're going to say that certain crimes, such as crimes with human victim, especially crimes that are sexual in nature, we don't care how much money you have or you don't have. You're not getting released pretrial. Like, you're not. We don't care if you can cough up a quarter of a million dollars or not. Instead, what this bail reform says is everybody gets released. Everybody, everybody, you get released, you get released, you get released, you get released. And then they try to wrap it up with a bow and hand it to us and say, hey, here's social justice. And I look at that, and you probably look at that and say, well, wait a second. You're taking violent individuals. I don't care how much money they have access to. This is a person who has caused tremendous pain to another human being. This is probably a person who's a sociopath and has every intention of doing this over and over and over again until something or someone stops them from doing it. And you're just going to say, well, we'll see you at your court date. And then, oh, your court date got postponed because of COVID. Oh. And you know what? They can easily be up and out of state and never seen again. Never seen again. And, and, you're, and really, we're, we're being told that by telling the truth about that, we're peddling falsehoods. We're fear-mongering. Are you out of your mind? Really? Gazette editorial board? That's your idea of equality? Let everybody loose who commits horrific crimes and then you can sleep better at night, rest your head on your pillow and feel like a social justice warrior? Get out of here. Let's talk about Aishan Davis from Troy. Let's talk about this poor little guy, okay? This kid, like, I, you know what? I get so sick of reading about these precious little kids whose lives are snuffed out before they have a chance to become everything they were created to be. Okay, it turned out a Cohoes man had been arrested in the high-profile murder case of an 11-year-old, Aishan Davis. You know, and this little kid, like, it, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that he was gunned down. He was not the intended target, apparently, but he was killed in a drive-by shooting on Old 6th Avenue in Troy. And... People, you know, the police are, were at that time still looking for whoever the intended target was. A beautiful life is gone, okay? And then it's, it quotes Yolanda Kurz Alston, who's Aishan's grandmother, saying, All he wanted to do was help people. I'm so glad they caught his killer. Grandma's cooking right now because I feel like cooking now because they got him. Police Chief Brian Owens said, Even if it's a tip that doesn't lead to any further development, it helps rule certain things out. The community was great in sharing information that they had. And what they found out was that Aishan's life was ended uh, at the hands of an individual who, you know, he had a history of gang assault. Jaque Brown, he was charged with murder in the second degree. And what's crazy is that Brown, he actually, in reading some other articles, he actually was a victim of gang violence himself. Oh, and I believe he actually got shot in the head over the years. At some point, this happened to him. And it's incredible to think that this cycle just continues and largely because our leaders don't have the spine and don't have the heart to understand that we have to break this cycle. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit here. Um, the 20-year-old Cohoes man who was charged with fatally shooting an 11-year-old boy in Troy earlier this month, and this is September of 2020, had been released from jail in June where he was being held on robbery, weapons, and reckless endangerment charges, okay, because he had not been indicted within 45 days of his arrest last October. Why aren't we in? Why? Why? Why can't we expedite court proceedings? Really? Like, are, why are we so low functioning? So he gets released because that's the obviously, you know, correct thing to do. Like, just release him. I mean, you don't know if he has addiction issues, you know, robbery. You know, quite often there's a bend toward addiction if you're making a career out of robbing people. Weapons charges, you know, that's another thing. You've got these people that are committing crimes with illegal firearms, and like 80% of these people have been released because of reforms like this. Okay, that almost makes sense. So Jaquay Brown has a lengthy criminal history dating to at least 2016. That includes arrests for a shooting as well as assaults, robbery, larceny charges, and that's according to court records. 
Okay, Shane Hug, a local attorney and former Rensselaer County Assistant District Attorney, was appointed as a special prosecutor in Brown's case for the weapons and reckless endangerment charges in the city of Albany connected to a drive-by shooting. Okay, so Hug on Friday confirmed that Brown was released from jail in June after his attorney, Gennaro Calabrese, filed a writ of habeas corpus motion seeking his client be released from custody due to the amount of time that he'd been behind bars without indictment. The release took place not not long after the coronavirus pandemic had brought New York's court system to a crawl, including the impaneling of grand juries. Hug said that he had no grounds to oppose Calabrese's motion and added that Brown's release from custody had nothing to do with the bail reform. Okay, so if (laughs) we're releasing violent people and our, our bail system is so screwed up to begin with, why in the world wouldn't we address that first? Why wouldn't we address that issue first instead of releasing violent people? Why wouldn't we do that? So we've already got a system that's totally screwed up, and then we have reformers who who pervert it even further and try to tell us that we're making progress when none of these issues that we have the, the biggest problem with are being addressed. This guy should not have been held... You know, 45 days awaiting trial, come on, get it together. You can't just release people because you can't figure out how to have court proceedings fast enough. Get it together. Get it together. Seriously. And then you make it worse by just releasing people because you don't want them to have to sit any time out in prison waiting for trial. So let's just release everybody. And so we're taking a problem that exists and we're literally making it worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then people like myself that are pointing it out saying, hey, we need to fix this. This is not working are told that we're, you know, we're fear mongers and we're lying to the public. It's ridiculous. Stop. Like, seriously, stop. It's, it's unbelievable. So, you know, then moving on, let's, let's talk about Garrett Goebel. His life was cut tragically short. And again, at the hands of an individual who was let out, Nathaniel Avenger, who was let out of prison. He was a repeat arsonist. He was seen on footage going onto a Harlem subway with a shopping cart. It appeared as though there were flammable items on it. And next thing you know, the Harlem subway is is erupting in flames. Garrett Goebel is risking his life to get all of his passengers out, which he was successful in doing. And he himself died as a result of that fire. And that was in March of 2020. And then it takes until December of 2020 to, to, to bring Avenger in to custody. He was questioned initially about it, but apparently, you know, they, we, we can't prove whatever. We can't hold him. We can't, we, our hands are tied. So he gets released. And then and it comes to December and he gets brought into custody again because he's like sexually assaulting an MTA worker. So you don't know how much he was doing from March to December to harass and abuse. And, and I mean, who knows what this guy was up to? You don't know what he was up to. But finally, in December, he was brought in as a result of, you know, sexually assaulting an MTA worker. You know, these MTA workers have been treated like they're just totally expendable by the powers that be. You know, that'll be another discussion. But my word, these are people that show up every day make sure people can get where they need to go, essential workers can get to their jobs, hospitals can run, and we treat them like this. We release mentally ill, evil people into the subways. We take the police out of the subways. You know, and and really, this is social progress? Please, like, it's got to be a sick joke. Somebody has to tell me that this is a sick joke or it's a bad dream and we're all going to wake up. But no, this is it. And then we have, you know, a local news rag defending this. It's disgusting. So, you know, you've got a whole family you know, we paid honor to Garrett Goebel. We paid honor to his wife and his mother and his children on Mother's Day because they shouldn't have endured this kind of a loss because our leaders don't care about keeping people who are dangerous away from the general public. They don't care about taking people who are committing crimes and getting them the therapeutic resources that they need if their crimes are driven by addiction and or mental health issues. They don't care. They don't care. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And and I'm fear-mongering. I'm fear-mongering. I'm peddling, you know, false narratives to the community. Stop. 
You know, honestly, honestly, the, the Gazette should honestly be ashamed of themselves for not understanding the intricacies of this reform, how horribly lacking our bail system and our judicial system has been leading up to this and the way by which this actually makes it so much worse. And while doing nothing to change what's going on in our prisons, we need more accountability within corrections. We need to keep our inmates safe. There's no reason why inmates should be subjected to the horrific abuses that they are. Why don't we start there? I mean, I was told by someone in corrections that the governor mandated, like, we're not even testing for drugs in prisons anymore. So you can have stuff being brought into inmates. You can even have corrections officers, you know, dealing to inmates. And it's, it, I'm sure it's happening. There's fantastic corrections officers. There's also horrible corrections officers. You know, why aren't we doing anything to change this? Why aren't we starting with these problems, fixing them before adding problems and compounding an already broken system by even more perverted reforms. It makes no sense. And again, I, I'm peddling false information. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. I assure you, I am not. A number of these crimes are sexual in nature that are listed on this reform. And I'm going to tell you right now that the way that words are used and the deceit by which words are manipulated should really pique everyone's interest here because just because you hear the words nonviolent offenses does not mean that these are not crimes with human victim and crimes that you and I would consider to be violent. You know, it's harming a human being. How is this not violent? But unfortunately, the way that our penal code is written here in New York State, that's messed up. That's perverted also in and of itself. So we have a real mess on our hands. And the Gazette went on to say that in the portion that I read how, you know, a number of loopholes were, were closed in July of 2020. That's nonsense. Okay, they picked about 15 crimes and they decided to say to judges, okay, you know what, you can use your discretion with this. Okay, the, and I'm going to read this. The biggest change that was made, okay, in July of 2020. Now, mind you, people have already died by now as a result of this bail reform. But people were turning up the heat because things were starting to look a little bit bad. You know, you had people that were literally mowing down other people in their cars, vehicular assault, and then smirking on their way, you know, into into get processed because they knew they were going to be released. You know, that starts to not look good. All right. But so what, you know, the powers that be might have probably thought, you know, wow, this, this might start to hurt politically. We better do something to make it look like we care and like we're going to make some changes, even though they're trying to pander to the crowd that's saying no, no rollbacks, no changes to the reform. We like all of these pro-sex abuse, pro-pedophile, pro-hate crime crimes being on a list that basically renders them all to offenses that get an appearance ticket. We like that just the way it is, okay? And there have been those groups who've said that loud and said that proud, and I think that's absolutely disgusting. So at some point, our leaders decided, you know, let's take 15 crimes, and I don't know if they all they just lined them up on a board and threw some darts and whatever one it landed on they picked because I can't understand why some of these would be chosen and then others who are, that are like, gut-wrenchingly sickening wouldn't be. They're all bad, but some in varying degrees. So these are crimes in which judges are now allowed to set bail. Okay, we're going to allow you to set bail or send them straight to jail. So it's giving a little bit of judicial discretion here, which should have been the case, although I think there's a lot of judges who have horrible judgment and horrible discretion. But what this basically did is said to judges, you know what, you can use your discretion, you can post bail on these, and you know now we all feel better, like we've cleaned up this huge mess of the bail reform. So there's 15 crimes, and I'm going to read them to you. So do a little math in your head. There's like 200 crimes that we started out with on this bail reform, and I took the time to read each and every one of them one by one on Sunday, and I'm not going to take the time today to read it just because we're running out of time, but there were 200 crimes. Our Albany lawmakers decided to take 15 crimes off of that list and put them in this little basket and say to judges, here, you get to use your judgment on these. One, burglary in the second degree felony when charged with entering the living area of a home. Two, sex trafficking or sex trafficking of a child felonies. Can you even freaking believe that was on the reform for like seven months? That that crime, sex trafficking or sex trafficking of a child, 
whatever kids were victimized in this way, whatever women, whatever, I mean, men get trafficked too, for seven months, that crime was on a reform that basically tied the hands of judges and said, you don't get to remand anybody who is found to be sex trafficking or suspected or with you know probable cause of sex trafficking a child. You have to give them a ticket. How sick is that? I'm going to move on to number three, money laundering in support of terrorism in the third or fourth degree felonies. Four, promoting an obscene sexual performance by a child felony. It took seven months to figure out that was a bad idea. Okay. Five, any crime that is alleged to have caused the death of another person. Not really sure how that ended up on the list in the first place. I mean, okay. Six, criminal obstruction of breathing or blood circulation misdemeanor, strangulation in the second degree felony, or unlawful imprisonment in the first degree felony when committed against a member of the defendant's family or household. That's interesting. Um, when committed against a member of the defendant's family or household. So if it's committed against anybody other than that, I guess we're still going to give them an appearance ticket. Okay. That's solid. Seven, vehicular assault in the first degree and aggravated vehicular assault felonies. Eight, assault in the third degree misdemeanor and arson in the third degree felony when charged as a hate crime. Oh, well, good. There's one of the, one of the hate crimes made the cut. Great. Is this the part where we give them the, the slow clap because we're taking a stand against hate crimes? Good for you guys. Nine, aggravated assault upon a person less than 11 years old and criminal possession of a weapon on school grounds, felonies. Good for you guys. Seven months to figure out that that shouldn't be something that gets an appearance ticket. I am so proud of you. Ten, grand larceny in the first degree, enterprise corruption and money laundering in the first degree, felonies. Eleven, failure to register as a sex offender, felony, or endangering the welfare of a child, misdemeanor, when one is designated a level three sex offender. And again, just let that sink in for a second. The original version of this that was written by a bunch of degenerates literally had the failure to register as a sex offender as something that, oh, here's your ticket. Like, okay, we know you didn't register as a sex offender, but here's your ticket because we're sure you'll show up for your court date. Like, what world are we in, honestly? 12, bail jumping in the third misdemeanor, second felony or first degree felony, or escape in the third misdemeanor, second felony or first degree felony. Okay. 13, any felony offense committed while serving a sentence of probation or while released to post-release supervision. I mean, isn't that the whole point of parole? Like, you know, so like, I mean, okay, you commit a felony while you're out on parole, and prior to this, they were just going to hand people a ticket? Uh, come on. 14, any felony committed by a persistent felony offender. Good for you. Good for you. But here's the thing. We've got Roadmap to Justice 2021 that wants to basically almost eliminate the terms persistent felony offender and also wants to basically eliminate the ability to keep anyone in custody and serve out a, pr a prison sentence if they're over the age of like 55. So buckle up, kids. It's probably going to get worse because these kind of people are the ones that are crafting reforms like this and even worse. So regardless of what you've been charged with and um, sentenced for, if you get to be a certain age that this group of degenerates wants you just out and about because that's social justice. Yeah. Okay. Let's just let that sink in for a second. 15, any felony or class A misdemeanor involving harm to an identifiable person or property committed while charges are pending on another felony or class A misdemeanor involving harm to an identifiable person or property. Okay. Okay. So... <laughs> You know, the, the, this is this, and then that, that, that list that I just read to you is their answer to a bail reform that had about, like I said, about 200 crimes on it, most of which, if you heard them, if you heard me read them at the rally, if you've heard me read them on past podcasts, I mean, you can't feel anything but heartbroken and sick to read those crimes and know that the powers that be here in our state want those crimes treated with appearance tickets that people may or may not show up for that people may or may not commit more of between the time of being handed a ticket and the time of their court date. It's, it's ridiculous. It's pathetic. And then we have news outlets like the Gazette that are lot, like flat out lying to the public, flat out lying to the public. And I'm going to tell you what I think in, in, very, in a very 
uh, summarized fashion, prison reform and bail reform need to look like. They need to look like something that would be crafted by a loving parent who loves their kids exactly the way they are, but loves them too much to let them stay exactly the way they are. They need to be crafted in a way that protects the innocent, protects the vulnerable first and foremost. And by protecting the innocent and vulnerable, we need to put measures in place so that if someone is doing time for a crime, they are not in any way, shape, or form ever in a position where they can have a crime committed against them. I mean, I don't know what planet we're on that we can't come up with a, a prison system that keeps our inmates safe, that has accountability, and gives people their lives back, offers rehabilitative services, as we heard again at the rally, and I don't think that there was really any mention of this in the article, maybe maybe there was and I missed it, but one of our main concerns as mothers is the fact that our judicial system, our penal system, really doesn't put any value in any prioritized spending in the way of helping people rehabilitate their lives. There aren't alternatives to incarceration. People get released, and they're basically just thrown out into the streets right now. I mean, we have the state renting whole hotels to put, you know, homeless people and they're homeless because they're releasing them from the prisons. You know, I mean, this it's it's just it's what are we doing? So you're literally just releasing people, giving them cash on a card, putting them in a hotel that's next to a liquor store and hoping that they don't do anything horrible while they're out it, with no plan of ever bringing them back into custody. It, it's horrific. We have to protect our communities. We have to protect people from themselves. If they're a threat to themselves and others, we need to treat that as such. We need to realize some people will never be rehabilitated. They won't. Some people have committed such horrific crimes that there is no way to take a gamble, take a chance of letting them out if they have a history of raping children, you know, sodomizing children, luring children in, you know, promoting obscene sexual acts by a child. We're in a day and age where the worldwide sex trafficking web is alive and well, and it is going on every single day. Why in the world would our government here in our state take this time as opportunity to weaken the protections around our children, to weaken the protections around our vulnerable? Why? Why? Really? Bail reform? Yeah, okay, bail. (laughs) Bail is not meant to be punitive. Bail is meant to get people to return to court and, and to take an active involvement in the judicial proceedings and get their case processed and and be part of the process. It's also meant to dissuade people from doing bad things. If you know a certain crime is going to carry with it a million-dollar bail, you might think twice about doing it. And and that's the intention of bail. Bail is not the be-all, end-all of our judicial system. There are crimes that are committed that, in my opinion, if we're going to level the playing field, as I said, there are certain crimes, especially those with human victim, and let's just pick crimes that are actually caught on video because we're in a day and age where this happens a lot. A crime is literally caught on video and we're releasing the suspects in those crimes, even though there's video footage showing them committing a crime. This should not be happening. There should be a special category of crimes and a fast track to processing cases like this that says, hey, you know, this is you on the date and time committing this crime. Like, really, what do you have to say for yourself? We're literally all watching you do this. Pedro Vanent Barcia, why was he let loose when you can literally watch on a video him butchering Bernice Rosado in a city street? I mean, we need to do better than this. And I'm really tired of people, the likes of the editorial board of the Gazette, not calling this out for what it is, dancing around, hiding behind, you know, verbiage that they think makes them sound like a social justice warrior when it doesn't. It makes you sound like a pervert who thinks that these reforms are actually beneficial when these reforms, many of which target children, are taking pathetically weak protections and eroding them even further. So let's start calling this what it is. Let's start demanding change in our prison system, change that doesn't treat people with mental illnesses and addiction issues as though they're just expendables that get thrown right back out in the street with no resources, no accountability, no supports, because that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. And then we're creating the second generation, the next generation, the second, third, fourth, fifth generation of children who are going to grow up to be the addicts of tomorrow, the criminals of tomorrow, because crime is being normalized. 
you know, there's so many assault charges on this that, you know, really keep victims of, of domestic violence from speaking up, from seeking any kind of protection because they know that the perp is going to get let loose again. And you've got kids watching this. You've got kids thinking that, well, it, you know, if, if the police are letting him back out, it must be OK. Do you understand what a mixed message this sends to our children, especially if a kid is sexually assaulted, if a kid is raped and, and the person is brought into custody and they face charges, and even if they're convicted, they would do what, two, three and a quarter years, and then they're out? What kind of a message does that send? Really? And then people like me and thousands of others who are saying we're taking crimes against children not nearly seriously enough, and, and people like editorial board at the Gazette say that we're peddling lies? Get out of here. Honestly, all of you listening, I'm going to ask you to do something amazing today, and it's going to be speak up, stand up, step out, because we need to take back this state for the greater good. We need to demand that our leaders serve in a way that serves the needs of the people. And we need to remind ourselves and our leaders that the power belongs in the hands of the people, because unfortunately, even our media is lying to us. I would welcome the Gazette, whoever the editorial board of the Gazette is. Contact me. I would love an open, candid conversation. I would be willing to do a podcast. I would be willing to talk, to learn from each other. I would be willing to just lay everything out and have an open, constructive dialogue. But don't you dare hurl lies in my direction. Don't you dare say that I'm peddling falsehoods. Don't you dare keep lying to the public because that's what you're doing. You're lying to the public. And you're saying that these lives that have been lost because of this reform don't matter. That's exactly what you're saying. And you're also living in a delusion that has you convinced that there aren't sexual crimes happening against children right now that aren't being brought to the authorities because there is no protection in place to keep those perpetrators behind bars where they belong. So stop living in your unicorn fantasy where you think that these crimes aren't being committed every single day in our communities because they are. Wake up. Stop lying to your reader base. Stop lying to the people and stop providing safe harbor for pedophiles, drug dealers, and every other person under the sun who commits evil every day by way of having these reforms that actually embolden and enable them to do so. Wake up. And next time you write an editorial, put your name on it. Have a spine and call me because I would love to talk. And our people, your readers, and the people of this state deserve better than that. So all of you listening, do something amazing today. I love you all.